Hello, I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John. Welcome to the Chef John Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Chef John Podcast. Hey, John, what's going on? What's up, Andrew? How you doing? Well, John, we have a fantastic slate of wonderful things to talk about now that we are in the height of grilling season. We've just gotten through the 4th of July and I have gotten the grill out and it has been amazing because I don't have to smoke out my house whenever I want to cook something because I do not have proper ventilation. And uh, it is my favorite time of year for cooking. So uh, we have lots to talk about today in terms of all things barbecue. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Some of my favorite uh, foods come from outside. Uh, well, I guess technically they all come from outside, uh, but <laughs> favorite ways to cook food outside, uh, barbecuing, grilling, which of course are two different things. And any angry pitmaster at a outdoor cookout will tell you if you call the grilled chicken barbecue chicken, uh, you will hear about it from a real barbecue aficionado. That is true. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, we are in the in the midst, the peak of grilling season and or barbecuing season. And uh, what do the kids say? I'm here for it. Uh, and might I say, things are really heating up. But we're not going to talk weather this episode. <laughs> that's true. But we're heating up because of the outdoor cooking. So that, yes. that's really, yes. Okay. Yes. And that high pressure system coming up from the South Pacific. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> but before we get into any of that, we, we have to do our housekeeping at the beginning of every show. We have to talk about how much we really, really love to hear from our listeners and how you have been doing such a great job in communicating with us on all of our socials at Chef John Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, the Chef John Podcast. Dot com. You can also leave us a voicemail because we have the phone number on our website. And when you are giving us a review, please only five stars and leave us a comment because any kind of a review is a good review. That's the thing that will help us remain truly yours, the Chef John podcast. So it's up to you, audience. It's up to you. Keep feeding those five-star reviews. Yes. And I will reiterate exactly everything Andrew just said. Um, Four-star reviews might be nice for some shows. We have no use for them at the Chef John podcast. <laughs> Five or nothing. Uh, and again, like Andrew said, don't forget to write something. We don't even care what it, it doesn't even have to make sense, really. I think it's just an algorithm thing. Are we allowed to admit this? Yes. I think you can just type characters and the algorithm is like, oh my God, that's some next level engagement. Uh, so anyway, the point is, tell us what you think. All kidding aside, we want to hear from you. Yes. Our first segment of this episode, Fun Food Facts, which is a callback to last season. Of course, we got to stay on theme tonight, John, but you've already sort of opened the door to this in your previous comments about the differences between barbecue and grilling. Yes. I'm going to talk about barbecue. So the American barbecue tradition is sort of like, uh, like America in and of itself. It's sort of a culmination of a lot of different influences and cultures. And um, it is... Cooking meat, particularly slow cooking meat over flame, uh, is something that sort of originated in Africa and in the Caribbean, which was brought to the Caribbean from Africa. In its earliest origins, um, barbecue invo involved slow cooking meats over sticks and saplings and little bits of wood. And, uh, and it was a common activity uh, of indigenous Americans as well as Caribbeans. And uh, in the Caribbean, 
this style of cooking was known as barbacoa, which of course you might be very familiar with that terminology. So that's again, where we get the word barbecue from. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's something that goes back to the 16th century, as far as we know. I mean, I'm sure they were cooking meat over flame long before that, but the origins of barbecue sort of came from there. So there's another word uh, that comes out of West Africa that sounds a lot like that too, called babake, which would be something that was typically served at special occasions. So barbecue has its roots in a lot of the cultures that have made their way to the US. And of course, we make it our own. But the reality is like everything else in this country, it comes from somewhere else. Of course. And uh, you know, I've, I've heard this um, history, um, several different versions. Um, but I always like to remind people, uh, things were invented and created and enjoyed um, many places around the world sort of simultaneously, mm -hmm. you know, whether we're talking about tools or language skill, you know, so, um, I agree with you. I think barbecue, what we call barbecue, that style of cooking, um, I'm imagining was happening in many different spots around the world. Um, because we're talking about American barbecue history, obviously that makes sense. The story of the, the Caribbean origins there. Uh, it's interesting. I just saw a show. And I know we're not into our food pairing uh, streaming segment yet. Not yet. I just saw a great segment on Chef's Table on Netflix. They have a limited series. It's the barbecue edition. Wow. Are you, have you seen any of that? No. Uh, anyway, uh, this amazing uh, woman, not a restaurateur, just a literally a lady that lives on a farm in the Yucatan um, doing traditional Mayan cooking. And apparently, so they say, this, according to them, this is the earliest recorded historical um, evidence of what we call barbecue. She's famous for her, um, uh, what's the, how do you pronounce it? Uh, co cochinita pibil? Uh, you're, you, uh, what? Cochinita pibil. It's the uh, annatto paste rub pork. I'm sure you had it. It's cooked in banana leaves. Makes like one of the great tacos of the world. Um, anyway, that is a Mayan tradition. Um, going back to, you know, BC. So uh, they claim by centuries upon centuries, this predates the Caribbean influenced barbecue making its way up to uh, the Americas, that it actually was Central America, then that found its way uh, into other places. So just want to throw that in there. There's lots of different uh, versions of the same origin story. Uh, and for the record, uh, the food is almost never cooked on the fire. The fire is placed on the food. Oh. So they dig the hole, they throw in the hot rocks and the wood, and then that's buried. Uh, so the food is actually sort of encased in the, the hotness. Right. Well, that's sort of smoked. Yeah, it's actually, it's indirect. Indirect, yeah, indirect heat. And then the smoke, the hot smoke is what's cooking the food. Uh, and, and it's funny is that we call every outdoor grill a barbecue. Totally fine. But that's not the style of cooking that happens on a barbecue. No. And this reminds me of the time I got the, you know, the, the confit of strawberries at the brunch spot. And I pounded my fist on the table and was like, this is not cooked in its own fat. <laughs> and then they asked, they said, sir, could you, could you leave? <laughs> so anyway, no, I'm, that never happened, but I'm making an exaggerated point of there are food terms that everybody knows what they mean. Everyone sh shouldn't have a problem with 
calling a backyard cookout a barbecue unless you're really looking for you know what to get mad about. So uh, anyway, uh, I don't have any patience, as you know, for these type of folks. Um, I, I, I Wait, wait, wait. That's another segment. That's another segment. Can we just combine what drives Chef John crazy with this one? But anyway, uh, yes. In case you don't know, barbecue is not an American invention. Well, the part of that that we did invent was creating a bonfire in your backyard with lighter fluid. Yes. We could probably wrap this segment up with just one last piece from Chef John. What is your favorite thing to put on a barbecue? My favorite thing. Now, are we, are we talking just, are we including grill? Yeah, I mean, we're not talking like classic pit master barbecue smoker style stuff. That we're just okay. we're encompassing the entirety of cooking gotcha. outdoors. Well, the last time I air quote barbecued. Okay. And I, whenever people say pick your favorite, it's always the latest favorite. Um, I've been doing something called a volcano marinade. It's a recipe I did, volcano pork. It's on the, it's on the channel. Um, it's an Indonesian Southeast Asian kind of style marinade, all the usual suspects, ginger, you know, lemongrass, peppers, of course. Um, It is insanely good on everything. Uh, Fish sauce, of course, is in there. Um, And it was originally on pork. I did it on some chicken. And like, we can't cook chicken any other way now until we get tired of this. (laughs) So if you're looking for an incredible chicken marinade, go check out the volcano pork recipe. But that is my my new favorite of all time thing to barbecue. Give me a hunk of meat, this volcano marinade, uh, let it sit for a few hours or overnight, and you're talking aromatic, just amazing flavors and and uh, a little sweet, little tangy, you know, just all the, everything you want in a, uh, something that's going to be marinated to put over, over coals. Nice. You know, my favorite recollection of outdoor cooking is in Washington state at a friend's house, uh, Lay and Eric. Uh, built a barbacoa pit in their backyard out of concrete. Like they dug a hole and like lined it with concrete and put a big metal grate on the bottom, fire in the bottom, and then they put the tarp over the top. And oh my God, the food that they made in that thing. They've since sold the house. So whoever got that house, well, man, you got a giant hole in your yard, but <laughs> you can cook a whole pig in it. So we have a new feature here at the Chef John podcast, and it's called Run It Up the Pole. And we didn't have to do any work for this one because you did all the work. You did all the work by responding to our polls on Twitter and Instagram about barbecue, about grilling, about the foods that we're going to talk about here. So, John, some of these answers might feel a little controversial to you. And I want to get your response because I have my own feelings about it. But the first one that we asked the audience was, um, what's the best way to grill? We had charcoal grills, gas grills, electric grills, and then of course, like a grill pan on the stovetop. So the answers were quite obvious. Uh, Most people still prefer charcoal. And I don't know that that's surprising. Not at all. Yeah, it didn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, what did surprise me was that nobody really wants to cook on an electric grill. And I, I, I can second that emotion because I've had a George Foreman grill and they're not a sponsor, right? No. Yeah, that thing just doesn't get hot enough. No. Although one time I burned my foot on a George Foreman grill cooking bacon. Oh, wait a minute. I'm thinking of a, an old office episode. <laughs> but you don't watch. I keep referencing the office. <laughs> you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna kill yourself with that one. Anyway, Michael Scott one morning shows up to work with a 
a bag over his foot and <laughs> grill marks. He he stepped on his grill getting out of bed because he likes to put the timer on so he could wake up to the smell of bacon. I have a good story about my personal George Foreman grill. So uh, where I live, you cannot have an open flame on our outdoor patio. So I bought a George Foreman grill. Of course, after one season of that, I realized there's no way I can cook meat on this thing and have it the way I like it. So I took it apart. I took the stand off. I took the lid off. And I just took the grill part. I brought it indoors. And it's the perfect grill for Korean barbecue in your house. Ah, a little bulgogi action. It's so good. It's so perfect. It's the right temperature. It caramelizes the meat just perfect. There's so much sugar and other stuff in the in the marinade. So we have now taken to doing Korean barbecue parties with the George Foreman Grill. So George Foreman Grill people don't hate us because uh, you lost the poll. Uh, love us because we're embracing Korean barbecue on the uh, George Foreman Grill. You MacGyvered that one pretty well. Um, yes, these electric uh, results and stovetop results, not surprising. I mean, who the heck is like, you know, I can't wait to grill on the old uh, stovetop. Well, the, the thing that surprised me, though, is the the lack of people wanting to cook on a gas grill, considering how many people have them. In the suburbs, everybody's got a gas grill. Nobody wants to deal with the mess of charcoal. Sure. And you know why that is? Because that's how us homeowners have to grill. That's why when we go to a real barbecue place, it tastes so much better. <laughs> and people are like, oh, that's what it's supposed to taste like. You actually can taste the wood and the smoke and the nuances of the you know wood fire. Um, none of that do you really get, you know, from a gas grill. Although, you know, I've seen the articles. Oh, it's it's not the fuel that gives you the flavor. It's the the fat burning, and you know, you're getting that smell and that that aroma attaching to the. I don't buy it. Well, you can throw wood chips on your gas grill, right? Yeah, you, if you do it right, you can have a pan of damp chips and have them in the right spot. Right. As long as you don't read the manual where it says never do that ever, or we're not responsible, <laughs> or you void your warranty. Um, although, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I, I always cut that tag off the mattress whenever I get one. So I'm not the best authority for this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, none of this grilling um, percentages here surprised me at all. I guess the gap between charcoal and, and gas was a little surprising. It's like a 60 point difference. Right. So now moving on to the more interesting parts of our survey, which I'm about to go off on. And I know I tried to do it with uh, fun food facts, but maybe this can also count as what drives Chef John crazy. Seems like a theme. <laughs> well, the next topic, which which foods must, all caps, must be grilled. Yes. And hot dogs was the top at 52% on Twitter and 40 on Instagram. Um, I'll eat a grilled hot dog. I'm, I'm cool with that. But I mean, I, to me, the ultimate hot dog is the one that's steamed in that uh, three-week-old water in a New York City hot dog cart. Dirty water dogs. They don't get any better than that. So I'm not a big grilled hot dog person. I, you know, I understand why it's the top of this survey. Uh, and then the same with hamburgers, a close second. Uh, everyone likes a grilled hamburger. Um, but I have to agree with the, the food uh, fundamentalists that say the ultimate burger is made in a smoking hot pan or flat top grill. So you can get that 100% crusted surface and you get none of that fat just running off, dripping into the fire, wreaking all kinds of havoc. So I'm not surprised by the, uh, the poll, but I, I am disappointed that more people 
Um, now, if we're talking chicken, seafood, which were distant third and fourth, yes, those to me must be grilled. I mean, if I got a piece of chicken and I can just toss it in an oven or grill it, that's a no brainer. Whereas a hot dog and a hamburger, I got other methods I think are is good, if not better. Uh, same with seafood, a nice piece of salmon, a nice uh, swordfish, a piece of uh, tuna. I mean, that's awesome on the grill. And by the way, not that hard. So yeah, I'm a, I'm not a big uh, hot dog hamburger grill guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can see your point. I mean, I think of all those foods because I don't particularly love hot dogs. Um, I do like a dog to be like almost crispy brown, like almost burnt, mm. and that's the way I like to eat them. So I would definitely agree with the uh, the audience in that hot dogs must be grilled. Mm-hmm. Of the four things that we listed here, um, hamburger would be my least favorite uh, thing on the grill um, because I would prefer chicken, seafood, and hot dogs all over that on the grill. But is there anything missing here, John? Is there anything missing that you would prefer on a grill than any of these foods? Um, no. I mean, uh, any protein. I mean, I, I'm surprised pork, you know, a good, uh, a nice, like something that's super boring in the oven would be like a pork tenderloin. Mm. Oh, yeah. Wake me up when it's over. But, you know, a nice marinade, volcano pork, for example. Um, throw that on a charcoal grill or a gas grill if times are tough. Uh, and that makes it, I think, so much better. And what's the weirdest thing you've put on a grill? It's not that weird, but Michelle used to have me grill figs. Okay. And then you, um, you know, you can serve them just like that with uh, burrata cheese is one of her, her favorite ways to do it. Uh, salt, pepper, olive oil kind of a sweet, savory type situation. Um, never really got too bizarre on the grill. I'm, I'm surprisingly, uh, you know, non-adventurous when it comes to a grill. I like the classics. I've made a few weird things on a grill, including I smoked a turkey on Thanksgiving once on an outdoor barbecue. And then uh, I made um, flatbreads on a barbecue one time. Oh yeah, flatbread. Yeah, see now when you said weird, I've done I've done that many times. Flatbread, non-bread, uh, that all works amazing on a grill. Yeah. One tip for grilling flatbread though, and I know this sounds weird, but if you bake it a little bit first, pre-cook it, even if it's in a skillet on the stove, um, then you warm it and crisp it and brown it on the grill. You get that same smokiness. You get that the same grill marks, but you don't have to worry about that raw dough kind of, you know, before it has time to, to firm up. And start to you know, the bubbles inside start to expand. Um, you don't have that danger zone. So just a quick tip: if you want to do some grilled bread, want to do some flatbread for your kebabs or whatever, serve some you know pita alongside whatever. Um, no shame in your game if you pre-cook that a little bit, and then take it out to the grill. And then you're talking 20, 30 seconds aside, and you're you're good to go. Cool. That's a great tip. I think I will try that. And finally, uh, the last of the internet questions is, which food is unacceptable to grill? I think this one is probably the most controversial. And the fact that on both Twitter and Instagram polls, oysters came in first, wholeheartedly disagree with that. Pizza came in second, couldn't disagree more. And fruit came in third, well, sort of tied. Fruit and filet mignon kind of tied at, at third. I have problems with all of this, but we're trying to create controversy here at the Chef John podcast. Yes. No, and I have a theory. The oysters is on there because people are like, why would you not eat them raw? So I, that's, I think, a reaction to just 
oysters in their natural habitat up on a tray of ice. So that one, I, I'm going to give people a pass on. Um, people don't just don't grill oysters and I don't think they're familiar with them. If you've had grilled oysters, you know, they're awesome. Oh, so good. Um, so, and then fruit, I've never been a big grilled, like I, I know I just mentioned the figs, <laughs> but again, that's more of a Michelle specialty. Uh, but P, I know people like to grill pineapple and peaches and you know what, do your thing. But, uh, but I'm a meat guy in the grill. You're not I'm, a hot fruit guy. I'll, I'm not a hot fruit guy. Um, <laughs> and then pizza. You know, if you are they doing it on a stone with the lid on, just make basically making a pizza oven, or are they actually trying to grill the pizza on the grill? And not to brag, we just invested or we're investing in a small wood-fired pizza oven. Mm. Now we tried one. I, I'm at. Uh, I don't know if I should give the name of the store. It's a. It's America's largest store chain, um, and they sell things really, really cheaply. Uh, you can get literally a hundred socks for four dollars. So people probably know which place I mean. Anyway, they have this pizza oven. It was $137. I'm like, I got to check this out. Great reviews. Bought it. Did not work. First time I did it, it got 700 degrees. But the stone itself didn't get hot enough to crisp the bottom. And at 700 degrees, you only got a few minutes. The top's going to be cooked. So uh, I just took it apart, put it back in the box, taking it back. And we're going to try another one we saw online that's only slightly more expensive, but seems to get up to 900 And the actual... Um, what do they call it? The deck, the, the floor of the, the uh, barbecue actually does get up to, um, you know, a, a hot enough temperature that you can get that nice charred bottom. So the point is stay tuned for updates as they become available with our uh, wood burning fire pizza adventures. So long story short, I have no need to try to grill pizza anymore. Okay. And if you hear of another large wildfire in Northern California, you know that the origin might very well be Chef John's. Pizza. It could be, although that what I do on the grill, just cooking our, our regular stuff, uh, there's a way better chance um, at, uh, at starting a wildfire. Well, the filet mignon uh, coming in at 20%, that's the one that I would have uh, gravitated to because a nice piece of meat like that, it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing you would want to put on a grill. No, I'm not sure. How did it make this list? Um, because I wanted to start controversy. Okay. That's almost like comparing like two different animals, like a filet mignon and a real grillable steak. We're testing the food knowledge of our audience here. So um, I think you guys failed. Well, yes, a little bit. But uh, in general, I'd like to admit, and I've said this for years and years and years since I've been been on uh, YouTube, um, almost always the audience knowledge surpasses my actual food knowledge. <laughs> I talk a good game, but I'm always like, oh, interesting. That's why that happened. Um, so actually, kidding aside, the public's food knowledge and uh, just overall, uh, you know, um, skill set, I think, has really uh, impressively grown over these last few decades. Um, and I don't think YouTube's totally to uh, to give the credit to. I think it's, you know, food networking, all that kind of stuff. Just everyone talking nonstop about food for the last 30 years probably helped. But I'm always impressed with the uh, food knowledge online. Of course, I was just kidding. He was not kidding. They passed with flying colors. And we can't wait to hear from you again. So the next time we put up a poll, be sure to log in the way you did last time. Give us great results because you just gave us a whole bunch of great content and lots of stuff to talk about. And we actually drove Chef John crazy just a little bit. Maybe the next poll should be, should you guys really be doing polls? Uh, so maybe we'll get that up. On. <laughs> and we'll see what they really think. Not like we're paid by the poll. It's true. And that brings us 
to our new favorite segment, Pairings, where we talk about what we're watching and what it makes us want to eat. John, I'm going to let you go first this week because I'm excited about yours because uh, I'm actually in the middle of it. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. So I'll assume you're a, you're a big fan of Stranger Things. I am. Okay. So my show, my show is Stranger Things on Netflix. Um, you know, unless you are a, uh, a being from a, an alternative universe, like in the show, you, uh, spoiler alert, uh, you probably have heard of Stranger Things, uh, if not have watched it. Um, now I'm going to be totally honest. It is not, my favorite show uh, that I've ever seen on Netflix, I think what it does for me perfectly is remind me of the 80s, the nostalgia. That is so spot on perfect that I don't even care about any flaws in the, the plot or the, you know, the dialogue or whatever little nitpicks I want to do with the show. Uh, I just enjoy every episode just for the nostalgic, you know, feels you get from it. Um and of course, it's set during a time in American history when Tex-Mex was actually a new, exciting, exotic form of food, uh, which, you know, is, of course, as people probably know, maybe you don't, I'll explain it, uh, a Americanized uh, Mexican food made popular in the Southwest and then, of course, made it to every corner of the country because it's delicious. Let's make, uh, let's make <laughs> no, uh, no bones about it. it uh, it's really good. Uh, not authentic, but nobody cares because it's really good. Nobody said, oh, a burrito is not really Mexican. It's like, no, but again, who cares? Uh, chimichanga, sorry. Uh, and nachos, well, not really. Uh, <laughs> and then the ultimate, to me, Tex-Mex TV watching food of all time, because it takes five minutes to make, is the quesadilla. Mm. Which, along with tacos, of course, and the things I just mentioned, burritos, uh, the more most popular of all the uh, the texts. Well, we just call it like Mexican food now, but it really at one time was Tex-Mex. Um, I don't know how Texas got credit. Uh, I think it was more like Arizona, New Mexico, Southern California. Uh, but anyway, I don't think there's anything better where you're in the mood for that kind of food, cheese and meat and salsa and, you know, um, a tortilla in a pan, a couple minutes, throw your cheese and whatever in it, fold it over. And you're back in front of the TV eating in a matter of minutes. Uh, so to me, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but that is a perfect pairing for a show set in the 80s is a nice uh, quesadilla or, of course, a taco, a burrito, a chimichanga, nachos, something that seems like it would be Mexican, but really is not. I love it because... Uh... The way you describe Stranger Things is exactly the way I feel about it. Because if you look at the age of the characters in the show, I would have been a senior at their high school when they were freshmen. So that that whole era is right in my butter zone as far as me growing up. You know, and it has all the sort of flavors of all the 80s movies. It's a little bit E.T. It's a little bit Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a little bit of, you know... Um, Halloween. It's got all of those great kind of feelings. Uh, so I, I really like the way you described it because it's exactly how I feel about it. And your pairing is spot on because you're right. That is that sort of era where that, that food came to popularity. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So where you took us to the past, John, with your uh, pairing, 
I'm going to take us to the future and make a dad joke at the same time. So because our theme is barbecue, my show is called Altered Carbon. I get it. <laughs> Good dad joke, right? Wait, that was the dad joke? Yes. If you didn't get it, too bad. It was, that was, you know, I, I wrote that joke two weeks ago and couldn't wait to use it. Um, anyway, Altered Carbon is on Netflix and it is a sci-fi drama. And I'll give you the general overview of the show is that it is set in the future where we can travel from planet to planet and all the great sci-fi things. But one of the things that is interesting about it is that our physical being is called a sleeve and our consciousness is contained in something called a stack, which lives in your neck and you can change bodies. So the main character of the show from season to season to season can actually be a different actor. And that's what has happened over the three seasons of Altered Carbon. It's a really interesting show. It's really fun. Uh, there's a great character who's uh, an uh, artificial intelligence who's actually um, based on Edgar Allan Poe. So there's a little bit of sort of literary history like woven through it. Excellent, fun show, lots of action. It's really great. And if you're into sci-fi, you'll love it. So Altered Carbon is paired with barbecue, of course, because, uh, you know, I got to keep going with the theme and keep making my dad joke. So um, I love meat on fire, like, well, not meat on fire, but as we've described it, meat cooking over hot coals. How about that? I like it leftover. I like it right off the grill. I like it any which way. Uh, it's just some of my favorite food. For somebody who ate vegetarian for 10 years in the 90s, I am a dedicated carnivore and I love barbecue. Making up for lost time. Making up for lost time, taking my statins and getting on with life. <laughs> John, are you a sci-fi guy? Not really. Um, now, I know we discussed this um, when we were talking Star Trek. Same with Star Wars. Um, I absolutely adored those shows. And then there wasn't any. And then the new ones came along and I, ha I just had felt no connection to them. So I really like the old growing up sci-fi movies, just the classic monsters from Planet X and you know all those kind of Saturday morning movies. Absolutely could not get me away from the TV from those things. But as far as like really craving and looking forward to sci-fi movies, not really. Uh, although I kind of shocked myself. I really, really enjoyed Dune. Okay. There was something about it. Uh, and Michelle really enjoyed it. And I can't remember the last time, maybe never, that I've like actually give, given a sci-fi movie a second viewing. Uh, but I actually have seen that twice. Wow. Although every summer when we would take a road trip to New York to see my dad's family, I would grab a book, like old, old school, go to the bookstore, get a book. Um, it would always be a sci-fi book and I would only get a chapter and a half in and then I would never finish it. It was only always for the car trip. Uh, and I think I bragged about my lack of uh, you know literary interest on the podcast before. Uh, I was a comic book or TV guy, um, but I did make an attempt in my teenage years I'm like, all right, who's this uh, Arthur C. Clarke guy or Isaac Asimov? Or, you know, there would always be like one of the best-selling at the time sci-fi novels. And I would go, oh, this looks great. I'm going to love this. And I would get it for a church. Oh, it's kind of slow. And then, huh, what do you mean they, they can't breathe oxygen? That's weird. And then I would just kind of give up on it. <laughs> so, you know, I guess I, I just lost my taste for altering carbon. 
other places than on Earth. Well, that brings us to our top five list for this week. And staying with our theme, one of the things that happens during the 4th of July every year is that you get on any big radio station and they do the top 100 songs of all time. So I think for our top five lists this episode, we're going to talk about songs with food in the title. John, what are your top five songs with food in the title? All right. Well, here we go. And I'm so excited for this because there's so many options. There were so many choices. So many. All right. Here we go. Number five, pour some sugar on me from the lovely and talented Def Leppard. Now I'm picking this for a couple of reasons. One, it's got sugar in the title. Uh, But two, there's a big misconception that this is a dirty song. People's minds go to the just the worst, most inappropriate place. It's actually the opposite. Someone wanting someone to be sweet. It's a, a sweet and adorable context for the pour some sugar on me. They're looking for the attention, the loving, the sw- getting some sweet, sweet attention. So like grandma saying, give me some sugar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other reason I picked this song is I hate Def Leppard as a band. <laughs> You could not pay me to listen to a Def Leppard album. Uh, I would have rather have just silence. Um, but this is one of those songs, and we all know there's many more. No matter where this comes on, no matter what the setting, no matter if it's a bar, a club, a, a Hofbrau, a, you know, a <laughs> hospital cafeteria, people start tapping their toe, nodding their head, and everybody knows the hook. And it's just a classic, classic rock pop song that everybody secretly likes and will sing along to in a bar drunk, whether they claim to hate the band or that style of music or not. It's just one of those songs. Um, And then third, in case I need a third reason, um, they got to be a really, really nice group of guys. Because as you know, they are famous for one very interesting factoid. They have the only... Uh, band in rock history that I know of that has a one-armed drummer. That's correct. It was always like a big sort of inspirational thing when you were in your formative rock years, like this dude is rocking out with one arm and I cannot play drums with two arms. And uh, so that always was kind of a nice, uh, interesting tidbit about the band. You know, imagine you're forming a garage band and your buddy with the one arm wants to be in it. Like 99.99% of garage bands are like, dude, we love you but we're going to arm drummer. But this guy was just so awesome that they actually gave him a chance. And then he just totally rocked. That's not how that happened. Really? Oh my God. It happened while he was drumming. He was uh, in a tour bus accident and lost his arm. Now, is this before they cut the albums? We know. No, this was really? after their initial album. So they were already big rock stars when this happened. Wow. That's so much of a better story than what I had. <laughs> that's like a feel good story. This is like, Oh my God, that happened. And he still kept rocking. Yes. And I saw him in concert after I saw him play at Madison square garden during a later album. And I was really just mainly fascinated by the fact that he played drums with his feet, you know, like, I mean, drummers use their feet. Of course they use their feet, but the fact is he did most of the drumming with his feet. And then he did his cymbal work with his arm. So you were impressed. I was super impressed. Okay. So you were actually a fan of the band. I was. I know you're more, you know, in general, you're more of a metalhead than I am. 
Uh, definitely. And I, I, I really like them. And then, I mean, this is quarter, it's like 83, 84, 85, I think. It's sort of the Stranger Things era. Right. And, uh, and I, yeah, they were a fun band. Well, now I feel bad I took that. You could have had that in your list. And I'm not even a fan of the band, and I took it for number five. Oh, man, I got so much good stuff on my list. All right. That was uh, number five for me. Here we go. Number four. Peanut butter jelly time <laughs> by the Buckwheat Boys. Now, this is a two four. We got a food name in the band and in the song. I think I get extra credit for that. Extra credit. Yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, peanut butter jelly time is what we call in the business an earworm. Are you familiar with this term? Yes. So, a, you know, an ad jingle or a song or a phrase that you hear, and then for the next seven days, you can not stop hearing it or humming it. So anyway, it's such a stupid song. It's such a weird meme. Everything about it's strange, but I really like it. And every time I hear it, I want to eat peanut butter jelly sandwich. Well, that's every day for me. So I know you're, that's your one of your fetishes. And I think as far as my list goes, it might be the only uh, song that actually sounds like it could be about peanut butter jelly, even though I'm pretty sure it's not. In fact, I'm not even going to pretend to know what this song's about. I don't think the song is about anything. <laughs> is it? I mean, do you, do you have any inside? No, I have no insight. I had some insight into your last one. I have no insight into this one. Okay, so you've seen the video, though. Yeah, on the internet, yes. Yes, on the internet. It's in the amazing animation with the banana, <laughs> which is not part of the song, but the banana's dancing. Anyway, it's confusing, it's disturbing, and it's uh, irritatingly catchy. And you don't know why you want to watch the video again, but you do. So anyway, that was number four, which brings us up to number three. Eggman by the Beastie Boys. Produced by one of my former fantasy uh, dinner partners, Rick Rubin. That's right. Uh, off, probably, maybe most people would think, myself included, Probably the Beastie Boys' best album, Paul Boutique. I am in total agreement with that. Although I think I just said Paul Boutique. I think it's Paul's Boutique. It's Paul's Boutique with apostrophe S. Paul Boutique, I think, was Abba's last album. So yes, Beastie Boys, uh, Paul's Boutique, just classic. Every song, classic. Um, and Eggman, <laughs> and I think I identify with this song. Yes, it's about eggs because dudes are throwing eggs at people. And it's like a gangster rap song, but instead of shooting people, they're chucking eggs at people, which is such a, an adolescent Beastie Boy-esque uh, thing to do. Yep. But the Eggman is actually called Eggman because he's bald, which you may relate to. I can absolutely. You've never been walking like through Manhattan and some, some young punk yells out a second story window, Eggman. No. Yo, Eggman. No, hasn't happened. No. Uh, or maybe you just didn't hear him. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's what the Eggman's from, if people aren't familiar. Uh, now, like Peanut Butter and Jelly Time, the song is borderline nonsensical. Like, some of the lyrics are really sharp and make sense. And then the next line is like, what? Where did that come from? <laughs> so, uh, like a lot of BC Boy songs are. But the beat, the samples, the, you know, I think they... And I was wondering, like, what is the sample? What song is that sample from? But then I remembered uh, upon research, there's like nine different samples in the song. Like Rick Rubin was not shy with like, if it works, it's he's going to sample it. Like a lot of songs, hip hop, uh, rap, it's like they pick one and that's the reoccurring hook throughout the song. This is just samples from everywhere and anybody. Um, so anyway, number three was Eggman. 
Which brings us up to number two, American Pie, Don McLean. Wow. Which uh, I'm putting on here uh, in uh, homage to Michelle. That's her favorite song. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or not maybe favorite song. One of her favorite songs growing up. I think it was the first album. She's about to come in if it's not, uh, that she bought. And, uh, you know, what, what is there to say about American Pie? It is a... What, what's the right word? Tour de force, a a work of art, a monument to songwriting. I don't know. Beer drinking. Yeah, it's a lot of things. <laughs> Every bar in America has that song on the jukebox. And then speaking of, you know, musicians getting in accidents, uh, it didn't end well for Don. Plane crash. That's why I avoid planes. And, and I'm not even a musician. So, uh, yeah, American Pie goes uh, number two for me. Uh, what is it about nine minutes long? It's like a ridiculously long song, but here's what I'm hoping that in our audience, which is very eclectic, I think we'd agree. Uh, there's going to be one person somewhere, somehow that's never heard American pie. Is that possible? It is the TikTok kids. They, maybe they don't, maybe they're 12, 13. They're, they're a fan of the podcast for some bizarre reason. And they're like, you know what? They're going to go listen to that song tonight. And they're going to be like, damn, Chef John was right. That's that that song's whatever they say. That song's fire. <laughs> that song's tight. That song's fat. No, that's way old. So anyway, yes, everyone's probably heard American Pie. Uh, and most people, I think, agree it's a classic. But if you haven't, stop what you're doing. It almost made my list. Almost. It was an honorable mention until I saw your list. And then I decided that since you were going to give it number two status, my honorable mention status would have been disrespectful. All right. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, Which brings us to number one, Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones, Uh, which I picked for, again, I I like to have seven, eight reasons for each of my choices. Um, Just classic rock song. I mean, quintessential Stones all the crunchy guitar riffs you'd ever want more. Uh, But I think it's the first rock song in my rock song listening career where I realized these lyrics aren't what I thought they were about when I was younger. Mm -hmm. You hear, you know, Brown Sugar is a kid and you're like, and you're just singing it, you're jamming, giving no thought that it's not about Brown Sugar because you don't know enough yet. And then you get a little older and you realize whatever that moment is where you sit down and you're like, wait a minute, they're not talking about sugar. I'm pretty sure they're talking about a, a lady named Brown Sugar. So that's when I, I start, it starts opening your mind as far as rock. Like that's what our parents were worried about, <laughs> that we're going to start listening to this, you know, what they used to call it, the devil music. Because when you're early, when you're young, you're like, what are they talking about? Why, why, how is this bad? What's going to happen? You listen to rock. Why can't I listen to my older sister's albums or my older brother's albums? Or uh, And then you realize when you finally understand a song like Brown Sugar, uh, when you're old enough to actually go through the lyrics, that, wow, a lot of these rock songs are not what we thought they were about when we were seven years old. <laughs> this is very true. So, uh, which of course makes it 10 times better. So now not only is it a, just an amazing rock song, but it's like a little bit, naughty and risky and you're looking at Mick Jagger in a new light so I had to pick Brown Sugar it's one of my all-time favorite songs uh Rolling Stones my favorite band of all time with uh Led Zeppelin being a close second and uh if I had a pick you know I can't you can't pick a favorite Stone song but it's in the top 10 where you 
at least narrow down to the top 10. Um, I'm going brown sugar. Uh, and if there was another stone song that had food in it, I probably would have included that too. But anyway, thus concludes my top five food song list. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I think as I've already elaborated it uh, on my on the Def Leppard story, uh, in terms of the rest of your list, uh, peanut butter jelly time, clearly a classic uh, earworm. Like you said, it's something that we all sort of can relate to in its ridiculousness and and have fun. And of course, since it's about my favorite food, uh, you know, it, it's shocking it didn't make my list, but I'm very happy that it made your list. Uh, in terms of the Beastie Boys, you could have put anything on this list from the Beastie Boys, even if it wasn't about food, and I would have totally been okay with it and would have totally excused you for putting anything on there. One of the great underrated bands in history. Wow. I mean, I just, I've, I've always been a fan since they released their first album, but you are correct in that. Well, let's go back to what you said earlier about another song. Th- their album, Paul's Boutique, is a tour de force. It is a masterpiece and uh, I love it. Uh, I'm going to skip over number two for a second because we're going to have to swing back to that. But I definitely want to address your number one in that brown sugar. Again, one of those songs that I had no concept of what it was about when I was young. It, it, and then as I got older, you realize just how uh, suggestive and interesting and eclectic their music was and the fact that they took lots of risks and uh, this clearly fit into that category and is an amazing song. And I am also a big Rolling Stones fan. I got to see them live on their first We Are uh, Coming Out of Retirement tour, which was, I think, 30 years ago. So um... <laughs> I saw that same tour in Syracuse, New York. <laughs> exactly. The Steel no, Wheels. Steel Wheels. Steel Wheels tour. <laughs> was it? It was. But we do have to have a, a deep discussion about Dear Don McLean. Oh. So. John, Don McLean is indeed alive. Really? <laughs> he is alive and well. <laughs> so he had a body double on the plane to get out of his tax debt. I'm trying to finish his story. I think we're mixing him up with possibly Buddy Holly or um, Stevie Ray Vaughan or, um, or Richie Valens or some of the other greats that died in plane crashes. But uh, Don McLean is alive. Well, that's too bad. I mean, that I was wrong. Sorry. No. Not too bad he's alive. Don McLean family. Sorry, I didn't mean it that way. But it is it's kind of too bad I was wrong there. Uh, but anyway, thank you for correcting me. Well, let me get to my list, John, because uh, mine is uh, equally eclectic and uh, maybe representative of my uh, my kind of age and, and interests a little bit. So number five, Raspberry Beret by Prince. I remember that album uh, and that song in a way that... Um, Brings back great memories for me. And I really, really enjoyed Prince's music. Uh, he was just such a virtuoso. I am a guitar player and Prince is a underrated um, genius on guitar. Uh, I, I think also as a songwriter. I mean, he wrote songs for everybody. So uh, Prince Raspberry Beret is my number five. And uh, it could have been at any point in this list, but uh, I had to I had to make tough choices, John, tough cuts. So uh, it came in at number five and at number four, and you will uh, feel the theme here with guitar players is Ice Cream Man by Van Halen. The guitar riff on this with Eddie Van Halen just absolutely shredding the time in my life when I was studying to play the guitar and I was playing rock guitar 
Uh, Eddie Van Halen was an enormous influence. And this song with David Lee Roth on vocals was so much fun and just such a great embodiment of what that band was. If you've never heard Ice Cream Man by Van Halen, by all means, play it and have fun with it because it's a great song. That brings us to three. And uh, three is a bit eclectic 90s by a band called the Presidents of the United States of America. And it is a song called Peaches. Now, if you're familiar with this song, you realize it is also a really ridiculous song, like some of the other ones about food in our lists. It is definitely suggestive, maybe interpreted as dirty. But if you are a child listening to this song, you would not read it that way, the same way we talked about other songs. It's fun. It's energetic. It's a really cool song. And it's by a band that sort of didn't really have a whole lot of hits, but uh, this one got a lot of airplay in the 90s, and it was a lot of fun. Number two, very familiar band, but a very obscure song on their most obscure album. So the song is Lemon by U2. Now, U2 did sort of a dance album called Zooropa, also in the 90s. And Lemon was my favorite song on this album. I love it to this day. Bono sings it in his high falsetto voice. And it's got this really driving electronic track behind it. It's a really interesting song for them. And it's a lot of fun. And it's something that I listen to periodically. I'll put it on if I want to be in a good mood. And it's like a lemon. It's bright and shiny and maybe a little bit tart. It's nice. It's a great song. And number one. Number one is, I think, the all-time best song ever about food because it's so weird. Rock Lobster by the B-52s. The B-52s were just such a fun band at that time. Uh, they had a lot of energy. They come out of that Georgia sort of um, rock scene with uh, R.E.M. of the time. And uh, this song just took the world by storm when it came out because it was just so weird and had so much energy behind it. And it just showed the whole dynamic range of this band and was just Again, anytime it comes on, it's one of those songs that puts you right in a great mood. And so does Lobster. Lobster always puts me in a great mood. So uh, Lobster goes good with lemons and peaches and ice cream and raspberries. So my whole list is a very summary kind of menu. So, John, what do you think of my list? Well, I have a lot of thoughts about your list. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to admit two of the five songs I never heard of before. OK, uh, we'll get to those. Uh, huge Prince fan, as all I think normal music fans would be. Uh, absolutely one of the great, maybe top five guitarists of all time. You, you could put him in the same breath as Hendrix and not get laughed out of a, a conversation. Just, I think, very unique style, but classic, but just did his own thing. And um, I never saw him live, but I saw a lot of live concert footage. And he never doesn't just destroy. Like, he just has never phoned in a guitar solo. It's like, it's always just to, you know, 11. Um, now I will say though, Raspberry Beret, by far my least favorite Prince song of the pop Prince songs. Okay. That's fair. Now I'll tell you why, because there's always that moment when you're following a band or an artist and you love their sound and you love everything they do. And then all of a sudden you're in the car and they come on and it's not them. I mean, it's them, but it's not them. It's like you hear emotional rescue by the stones. 
It's like, wait, is that the, it's the stones? Is it really the stones? So Raspberry Bray, I did not enjoy as a piece of music. Prince, on a personal level, can do no wrong. So, you know, I gave him a pass and moved on to the next track. Uh, but Raspberry Bray, I just didn't like that poppy. Everything was getting sort of light and fluffy during that time. Yeah. And by the way, not a huge fan of berets. Raspberry or otherwise. And the biggest disappointment of all was that Weird Al Yankovic did not do Raspberry Parfait, uh, which I thought was a huge missed opportunity. <laughs> and now you're probably about to tell me that he's not dead. He's not dead. Okay. I didn't think so. Uh, number four, Ice Cream Man. No problem with that pick. Great song. Great everything. Um, you know, don't forget about Eddie's brother. Um, he was the drummer, correct? Yeah, Alex. As awesome as the guitar is on that song, it's like it's getting pushed there by that incredible drum onslaught that just doesn't, you know, never stops. Um, and the ice cream truck in our hometown, we had the classic, uh, you know, small town, the perfect size for a ice cream truck that you didn't have to worry if it was some, you know, serial killer or, you know, some, some <laughs> creep, creepazoid. Uh, so the ice cream truck was always a very uh, welcome this time of year addition to the neighborhood. So I remember when that song came out, uh, we may have actually been listening to it. And then the ice cream truck came by. Uh, Peaches, never heard the song. I'll have to check it out after the podcast. Oh, it's so much fun. You'll like it. See, I would, I would have been more interested if it was done by the dead presidents. That would be from Point Break. Yeah, I would, I would like to hear their version of Peaches. Um, and then Lemon, never heard of it. Probably nobody has, right? If you're into U2, you know the song because it was just a very strange outlier. That album was an outlier. So it is one of those sort of experimental phases. It's, I wouldn't quite say it's their Sgt. Pepper, but. Okay. So yeah. So Peaches and Lemon, I'm not familiar with. I cannot uh, judge, but uh, is Foods, I'm down. Uh, and then Rock Lobster, a classic. I agree. Uh, everyone loves it. Party song. Wedding, doesn't matter where you're at. When that comes on, everyone starts bouncing around. I don't know if Rock Lobster, for me personally, has aged super well. It's actually, I mean, it was still very popular in the 80s, but the, the song actually goes back to all the way back to 1978. And it was really revolutionary at that point because it was super strange. Well, it's a classic. I have no problem with it. And uh, as you know, I like lobster. Uh, fun fact, fun food fact. Um, lobster was not the... Uh, protein of the rich and fabulous traditionally it was actually something they would like dredge up and feed to people in prisons and stuff because it was not a premium um and i forget the story of how it actually became i think some east coast socialites probably you know martha's vineyard or the hampton they they were they were started feed, using it at uh, luncheons i believe and that's when it became like oh the the so-and-sos are serving lobster. So then it became like a thing and then demand and became more expensive. But at one time it was extremely plentiful and under uh, loved and cheap. And uh, people were like, ah, no, we got to eat lobster again. Gosh, darn it. Uh, so that's a, a weird, interesting fact about lobster. People assume it's like, Ooh, you got money for lobster. You're doing well. That wasn't <laughs> always the case. You used to be like, dad, we got to eat lobster. This sucks. I would say on this episode, our top five list covered a lot of ground today, John. Yes, I agree. Maybe too much ground. We'll evaluate the next production meeting. Okay. We don't have those. I know. It's probably part of the problem. So our final segment is who do you want to eat with? 
John and I talk about people, historical or contemporary, who we would love to share a meal with. So, John, who would you like to eat with? Well, maybe a little bit of a surprise to you. Uh, I would like to have dinner. Well, actually, forget dinner. I would like to have lunch and drinks with Dorothy Parker. Wow. Now, um, I've never read Dorothy Parker. Okay. Couldn't tell you a single thing she's written, but we all know the quotes. Beauty skin deep. Mm-hmm. Ugly goes clean down to the bone. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. <laughs> one of my favorites. That's a great one. That is a great one. Uh, and there's so many more. In fact, Google Dorothy Parker quotes. There's about a dozen that are just classics. I enjoy, as you know, a, a smart, witty people, quick-witted. I like to I like to test the wit. I like to bounce things back and forth, play a little, you know, tennis, few volleys at the net. Um, and she had such a reputation for being such a uh, just a razor sharp wit and would just eviscerate someone in a battle of one-liners that I would just like to see what kind of game she really had. Like, you know, some of these legends, you know, they they get built up over the years and maybe in person they were just, yeah, they were kind of amusing. But then they you know, became like a legend and they grew and grew. I would like to have lunch with her. Uh, I hear she liked to tip back a few. So I'm assuming we'd have three or four drinks and then uh, just go back and forth. Just see, just see what she's got. And uh, I would like... You know, once she, I would like to see what she would do when she found out I never read anything she'd written. <laughs> would she call me a Philistine? Would she like what would be her response? Um, and I would like to hear some stories from the the good old days sitting around the what was it the Algonquin Round Table, you know, trading barbs with all the literary greats of New York at the time, um, and just being just s face drunk all the time. <laughs> uh, so I'm a big fan of functioning alcoholics as artists go, like if you can do that much alcohol and drugs and totally keep it together and just create this incredible art, I'm going to tip my cap as they used to wear back then. I tip my cap to them. Uh, now, so often it ends tragically, which is you know, nothing we want to make light of. There's a thousand more examples of it going the other way. Uh, but apparently her, you know, drinking seven martinis with lunch every day did not hinder her creative process. Well, John, I think you would hold your own really well. You're a quick-witted man, and I think you would uh, enjoy a bit of a verbal joust with Miss Parker. So I, I think that's a great choice, and uh, I would love to sit in on that one. The person who I would love to share a meal with uh, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, we could share a, during this week, we could share a birthday dinner because uh, Andrew Zimmern, famous for his... Uh, eating of very strange foods on uh, the Food Network, um, was born on the 4th of July. So just as we have celebrated the birth of this nation, we have celebrated the birth of its weirdest eater, Andrew Zimmern. So I think he's a really interesting man. I think he has a really interesting inspirational story, having uh, been a great comeback story from somebody who had some issues and then obviously found stardom. But I think in more recent time, I really admire um, his activism and the fact that he is 
staunchly uh, shares my political views. And I think that he's somebody that is a vocal celebrity who actually puts his words uh, and and his deeds uh, on display. And I think I really want to eat some weird stuff with him. Like I'm not all that squeamish about eating weird stuff. I mean, it's not like I go out of my way to do it, but when it presents itself, I do. But that man is eating some weird stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, really weird stuff. So I would just love to, you know, do some bizarre foods with Andrew Zimmern, maybe around his birthday, talk a little politics and have some fun because I, I think he's a really interesting guy. And we're both bald and we're both named Andrew. Yeah, no, it's a great choice. Awesome story. Awesome guy. Uh, one of the first, first celebrity chefs, quote unquote, to follow me on Twitter. Oh, wow. Met him at some food show a million years ago uh, for maybe 14 seconds and uh, noticed he was following me on Twitter. Um, so, you know, always have a warm place in my heart for that. And I think that would make a fascinating dinner guest uh, above and beyond what you would eat. Uh, great conversations, I'm assuming. So that brings us to the end of another Chef John podcast episode. But before we leave, we have to know from John, what have we learned today? Well, we learned uh, that people are not big fans of uh, grilled filet mignon. <laughs> and they also are not big fans of uh, grilled oysters. But that's only because they probably haven't tried one. They think of raw oyster as the way to eat oyster, which I agree. Uh, but if you've not had a grilled oyster, here's what you could learn. They're really, really good. So that's one thing we learned. Uh, we also learned that the band Def Leppard was not just a bunch of very advanced teenagers that allowed someone with a disability to come into their band to show the world it was possible <laughs> and inspire just thousands and hundreds of thousands. of. They actually had a, it was a tragic accident that happened during the band's reign. And Andrew can verify this with eyewitness accounts. Uh, we learned that Chef John has zero knowledge of the history of the band Def Leppard and really, <laughs> quite honestly, only knows one of their songs. Uh, on the other hand, at least I thought Don McLean was dead. <laughs> so that was the final thing we learned today, that uh, great news for Don and his family. Uh, old man McLean is still kicking. Uh, for all we know, he might have passed during the show. If so, sorry, uh, we'll we'll take the jinx. Um but yes, Don McLean is still alive. Uh, he's still uh, doing well. And uh, he also is a huge fan of Raspberry Beret, or so I hear. Uh, I'm speechless. No, you can't be speechless because you have to say goodnight, Andrew. Good night, Andrew. Good night, Andrew.